So I do want to pray for those families as we begin. Um, I know we have one uh, with, you know, Co Corey Rowley going in for, it sounds like almost lung transplant with this whole COVID deal. So that's another one I want to just lift up. But let's start, start with prayer. Lord, as we begin, just I want to ask that you um, would, uh, in, in the way that you do, bring your peace um, to some families who will grapple with, again, death. Lord, um, these are people we love. And as you bring Steve and Julie home, uh, they're two people that will be dearly missed here. Uh, but we pray for the family particularly, that you just bring some peace. Lord, as we uh, go into this new year, we continue to battle with this COVID and, and want to lift up Corey as he gets ready for a significant, um, a significant move with his, his lungs. But Lord, uh, there's, there's others that are battling, and so we just ask for your, your strength, but particularly for Corey in this time. Lord, uh, be with us as we begin. We pray in Jesus' name. Let's say it together. Amen. If you, if you take your Bibles out, um, I kind of believe that we finished um, this last year with a great word from God in, in chapter uh, 13, right at the end of it. Um, when, if you look at verses 11 and 12 as we go into this new year, what a great way to go into it. Just look at those verses. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from the sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. I kind of want to just get that into me as we go into this new year because, you know, the question is out there, hey, what is, what's, gonna, what's the church going to look like, uh, quote, unquote, post-COVID? And uh, one of the things that I've come to believe is that God, God doesn't waste a, an ounce of, of pain. He doesn't waste an ounce of it. And so part of what I think God will bring out of COVID, my prayer is, is a renewed conviction on the part of the church that the hour is nearer than before. That hour is specifically referring to the, the judgment day, the day that Jesus Christ will return. And so to have that in our minds, I mean, I think we wake up, quite a few mornings and, and the judgment day is as far away from us as, as it could possibly be. When you wake up and you go, hey, what if it was today? Then you stop and you think about people in your own family or people that you love, people that you care about, and it makes a difference in the way that you go about living your lives. And that's really Paul's intention here is to say, hey, uh, think about who we are as the church. So we finished off last year with those words and, and we're entering into, we started into chapter 14. We'll do a little recap uh, there as, as Paul continues to speak to the church about what it means to go out into the world and uh, to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. As you get into chapter 14, I'm going to set this word in front of you, convictions. Okay? What are your convictions? And uh, I'll just ask this question. Are convictions a good thing? How many of you would say uh, convictions are, are, are a pretty, pretty good thing to have? Yeah, I mean, um, they should be the, kind of the foundation that our, our lives are, are built upon. They're what allow us to say yes to things. They're, they're what allow us to say no to things. Uh, part of my convictions are, you know, again, sitting there watching the jiggling jello people, I'm like, no. 
I, no, that's not what I need to be doing uh, with my time here. Um, part of your convictions are how are you going to spend the day? What, what will matter to you most in this day? Uh, part of our convictions uh, play out when, when, when they come under, under, under fire, under testing. Um, you know, I, I think I get to work with a lot of young people in, in, in my life, and you know, one of the things that will put young people to test today are the ideas and the values and the convictions of our, our world have changed so much that here's, here's a young couple, and do we, do we live together? Do we not live together? Convictions are going to come into play there. And, and they come into play for all of us. We're, we're being tested all of the time, and, uh, and they matter. Let me ask this question. Do convictions, are, is there ever a time when convictions can become something bad? Is there ever a time when convictions can become something bad? Actually, that's what chapter 14 is going to get us into, is um, we all have tightly held convictions. Um, and that's, when, when we're talking about the church, that's good theologically when our convictions have to do with clear, concise um, words from God to us about how to live or how to, how to be the church. Okay? Um, when God says, um, you shall not commit adultery. All right, uh, we hold that as a conviction, and we say, "Look, as a church, we're going to stand and fall upon that conviction. We're going to hold on to that." Uh, you know, when when the church says, "You shall not kill," and Larry, uh, you've got people out there going, "Well, we're going to kill. We're going to kill a lot of little children before they're ever born." Abortion, right? Uh, no, our convictions are what cause us to say, "Now we will battle you. We will fight against that. Uh, we will pray night and day." against that because that that that's a clear-cut word from God but in the church there's also times when we begin to develop convictions around uh, we use this word last time we met adiaphora right adiaphora are things that are neither you know commanded by God or forbidden by God uh, they're kind of not spoken to precisely in the Bible and yet they're part of our life as Christians. Uh, we used the example last time we met of worship styles, right? Um, someone can say, hey, I really, I'm really convicted that the way you, you're going to reach the world is you're, you're going to have to use this kind of music and this kind of format. And another person's convicted equally the other direction that no, if you, I, don't, I don't want that format because it, it actually will cause us to lose part of the tradition and part of the, the history of our church body. And so I'm, I'm equally convicted that, no, this is the way that it's supposed to be done. And um, when you go to the Bible, here's what you recognize is that there's a variety of worship styles that take place throughout the, the Bible. There's no, it's this or it's this. It's not spoken to. You, you go back in history and you study people like Martin Luther and you realize that there comes this moment in Luther's life where the church is saying to Luther, we need you to write a liturgy for the church. We're distinct now. We're Lutherans. We've become a separate church. We're not no longer Catholic, but we don't know how, how are we supposed to, to worship. 
And of course, if you, if you kind of remember Luther's history, Luther said, I will not write a worship service. I will not do it. Why? Because you will begin to worship that. You'll make that. This is how it's supposed to be. Look, Luther wrote it. This is how it's supposed to be. So there was, a, there was a lengthy period of time during which Luther he actually refused to write his, his worship service until finally there were people in Luther's lives who would try to talk some sense into him, uh, Melanchthon being one of them, would say, hey, Luther, I know you're upset about this, and you know people, but we, we, really, we really would do well to have a, a, a Lutheran worship. And he wrote, if you look ever look at Luther's basic worship service, it's very simple, very, very simple. And he kept it that way so that people wouldn't put it up here and say, hey, I'm going to worship that. Do convictions cause trouble in the church? Yes. Are they, are they important to the church? Yes. So you've got to put those two ideas in tension with each other. And I, I really feel like that's what chapter uh, 14 is, is doing, is helping, again, speak to the church. The purpose never changes in, in, in Romans. Paul is trying to prepare the church to go out in the world and to win people for Jesus Christ. That never changes. What's happening as you go through these chapters is he's, he's talking about things that can disrupt unity. And once you disrupt unity inside the church, it's no longer, it's no longer useful to God outside of the church. It can't become his, his voice outside of the church. Let's kind of recap a little bit of this. Chapter 14 uh, begins with the idea of people who are weak in faith. This is this, for the one who's weak in faith, welcome him, uh, but not, not to quarrel over opinions. And I kind of like the Greek uh, language here because it, it thickens that up just a little bit uh, when, I read, when I read it in English. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. In other words, you're, you're going to be going out into a world where you have people who have no history of faith. None. Or their history of faith has been what? Pagan. Right? This is Rome we're talking about. And, and so as, as you're welcoming that person into the, into the church, recognize that you need to meet that person where they are with open arms. Right? Meet them with open arms. Um, when I think about the church at its best, I think of it that way, that, that the church at its best is a body of people who are willing and ready to meet somebody where they are, whether they've had a long history with the church or where they, they, they know nothing about the Bible whatsoever. Uh, maybe they're coming from a, a whole different you know, world view from a, from a spiritual perspective. Meet that person where, where, where they are. Welcome them into the church. And then it says, but not to, here's where the English gets a little bit weak, not to quarrel over uh, opinions. I like, I like the Greek, because here, here's how it thickens it, but not dialogismon, dia through logis, the word, dia logos, but not through the word, the Bible, or your words, to enter into diachrisis, Judgment. Don't, don't, don't bring somebody in 
and here yeah, we welcome you, you're glad to come here, but all of a sudden now you begin to, to what? To, to use your words, or even the Bible, because sometimes we do that. We'll use the Bible as a pretense to judge things that they're doing or things that they're saying or things that they, they bring into the church. In other words, treat them like what? They're, they're new to this thing. They're, it's going to be a it's going to be a walk with them. Uh, we don't just hey you you join the church now boom boom you're all changed you know the Bible really well and you're you're, you're no it's, you're walking with new people who are coming uh, into into the faith. Um, now what were some of the things that people were arguing about? What were some of the crises that started to rise up? in the church in, in Rome. Well, you, you see it in verse number two. Here's the, the first thing it says. One person believes that he may eat anything, while the, the weak person eats only vegetables. Uh, we said that, that that verse ought to be over the, the door frame of every butcher shop in America today, right? Only the weak ones eat vegetables, right? <laughs> um, well, what is, it, what is that saying? What's going on? Well, you have some people who what, are saying that, okay, meat, you know, got, you've got to kill an animal. There's, there's the blood in the meat. You shouldn't eat that. Uh, if, we're, if we're spiritual people, we really ought to, to, to abstain from, from eating meat, and we're, we're going to eat just vegetables. And, and actually, Paul calls that person weak in the faith. Why? What is that based upon? What are they, what, why would they have that idea? Well, it's, it's, what's it based on? It's based in the law, right? It's based in the law. Uh, it's, a, it's a legality. You can eat that, but you cannot not eat that. The gospels freed people. Can I, can I eat steak today? Absolutely. Why? Because of the gospel. That sets you free to do that. Can, can, I, can I eat pork today? Praise God, yes. We can, we can have ribs today. You know why? Because of the gospel, or at least from the law. Um, and, and so Paul's saying, yeah, there, there's, there's that person is coming in, but they, they hold that conviction. It's a conviction for them. And now they're watching other people eat meat, and they're saying, well, no, you should not be eating that meat. So what do you do with them? Get into an argument with them, right? Tell them why they're wrong. No. No, no, no. Don't. That's what he's saying. No, don't do that. Because what, what starts to happen in the church when we, when we start to battle over things that are not essential to our faith, what starts to happen in the church? It implodes from within. There's no way it can go out and have any impact uh, for Jesus Christ. And vice versa, he says, uh, uh, verse number three, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and not, let not the one who abstains pass judgment upon the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. I want you to just catch these words, pass judgment upon. Sometimes our convictions lead us into not just, not just criticizing another person. Well, you, should, you know, you shouldn't be going to that, that kind of service. What's, what's wrong with you? Uh, or you, 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 you shouldn't be thinking that way. I mean, what's, what's, what's wrong? No. Sometimes our our convictions lead us to actually judge and despise another person. I mean, it can, it can be that significant. And so what, what's happening is 
Uh, Paul is saying when that begins to happen, we, we actually we become our, our own worst enemies. The church is no longer capable of doing what God has called it to do, which is reach out to people who are, they are weak in the faith. They're coming into it. They, do, they don't know it. Um, I've made a couple of notes uh, for myself that, that just kind of made me think a little bit of this. Is The first one is, uh, wh- why, why was this a problem in, in Rome? Why, why are these internal disputes over adiaphora or non, non-essentials, why is this happening in Rome? And uh, part, part of what's kind of uh, in the back of my mind is, and we've been talking about this throughout our study of, of the Book of Romans, part of it is, you have people, um, who, the people who are making up the church predominantly are what? They're, they're Jews, right, who are coming out of Judaism into Christianity. Judaism is based in the law. This is right, this is wrong, this is right, this is wrong. And um, to, you talk about Adiaphora, by, I mean, by the time Jesus Christ came to earth, uh, the Jewish church had managed to take what God had given the church as his words of life and turn them actually into words of death. They, they, they took, they took the, the words of God and added to them 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 law after law after law after law after law that people were afraid, afraid to, to move without consulting. It was this right or is, is this wrong? And, and most of what got added to the law was what? Non-essential adiaphora. That's what they're coming out of. That's what they grew up with. And so now they're coming into Christianity. And it makes sense to me that, huh, you know, as I become a Christian, that, that tendency to turn things that are not essential into laws, my con- not just my conviction, but this is the way it has to be, is inside the church. And so Paul's having to address that and, and say to the church, yeah, you, you came out of that, but what, what did that do? That brought death into the church. And if we continue it as Christians, it will bring death into the church. Now that, that stopped me for a minute because I thought, well, is that still a problem for us today? I mean, we're the people of the gospel. Right? Uh, would you agree that of all the church bodies in the United States, the Lutheran Church ought to be the people of the gospel more than, than anyone else? Would you guys agree with that? I mean, and that, and that makes sense to you? Sola what? Word alone, faith alone, right? Grace alone, grace alone. We're the grace people. But here, here's something interesting. When you go back and you study the Lutheran Church as it comes out of the Reformation, what's happening in the Reformation? Uh, We are, as a church body, being formed in an environment, in a context, that causes the, the formers of the church, what you might call the patriarchs of Lutheranism, to, to over a fairly substantial amount of time, write documents stating this is what we believe, this is what we don't believe. Don't believe that, 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 don't believe that. Okay? Now that, that corpus of 
writings to, to this day can be very helpful for the church. Why? It's precise. You know, when I, when, I, when I go and study churches and I stop in, I'm, I'm at a Methodist church, right? And I say, what do you believe? A lot of times the, the pastor is like just starts to babble. Like, oh, we believe that God is God and there's the Holy Spirit somewhere out there and Jesus is saved, we're saved by Jesus. I'm like, oh, that's really good. But there's a, lot, there's a lot more to what you believe in that, right? Well, yeah. Can you, can you share with me? What, what do you believe? Pastors have a hard time telling me what their church believes. In a Lutheran church, one of the things that's kind of beneficial is if, if I want to share with somebody, here's what we believe. I, I have actually some, some old historical documents, right, all put together into this, this book that we call the Confessions, right, that I can pull out and I can say, well, here, here's, here's what we, we believe. I think I got into a discussion with somebody this weekend and uh, we were talking about, about the Catholics and I said, well, you know, Luther said that the, the Pope was the Antichrist. That's part of our historical documentation, right? When I become a pastor, when Mike became a pastor, when Carl became a pastor, I have to stand up, they ask me the question, do you subscribe to the confessions, including what? The treaty on the power of the primacy of the Pope. What does it say? The Pope is the Antichrist. Do you subscribe to that? Now, here's why I say that. One of the benefits, one of the benefits of our confessions is there's a precision to the theology of the Lutheran Church. If somebody walks in and says, what do you believe? I'm like, you know what? We publish our whole menu. Not just a little bit of it. The whole menu. You want to read this book? It's called The Confessions. If you go through it from A to Z, you'll have a pretty good understanding of what we believe and what we do not believe as Lutherans. You will. You really will. Okay? Um, so that's, that can be a positive. On the negative side, and, and there is a, a negative side to it, over the years when you look at how Lutherans who came out of that re Reformation period having to say this we believe, this we don't believe, this we believe, we have a tendency, I hope this doesn't shock anybody, some of you might be shocked. I don't think you will. We have a tendency as a church body to, to really get into nitty gritty, pick at it arguments over little tiny things. We just do. We also have an orientation that tends to be negative. We do. We're against that. 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 Okay. Some examples from, from my years of ministry. Guy writes a book. Um, it's called um, The Shack. Um, pastors start to speak about this book called The Shack. Or against that, or against that, or against that. Why are you against that? Well, it's got modalism and it. it's got this and it. it's got that and it. that shouldn't be in there. I'm like, all true. You know what? There's some stuff in there that you, you probably should not embrace as theologically factual. But now, what did you just do to the whole thing? Threw it out. Are there some really good things in there? Absolutely, yes. We have that orientation that tends to be what? I'm against that, 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 I'm against that. Okay. How does the world receive that? Probably not too well. Right? Now let me, let me get a little bit deeper. There's a dark side to all of this. 
The dark side is the term krinito, judgment. And, and I believe that we can actually get to the place where we become judgmental to the degree that the world looks at and says, whoa, wait a minute, what in the world is that? Does that sound right to you? I'm going to give you an example, real clear example. I think it's clear. Um, I want you, I'm going to rewind the hands of time, go back to the beginning of our, our COVID era, right? Let's not rewind it. <laughs> let's, get, let's move it the other direction. Um, the church was in turmoil. I mean, really. As every other institution in the world. But the church was starting to say, oh my gosh, what's happening here? The people are being, go home, watch, us, watch it on television. Uh, how do we provide care to people? How do, we, how do we do some of the things that we just normally do? What about communion? What about communion? I remember us getting together and we were talking about communion. And we said, hey, I know one of the things that we could probably do is we could probably do a drive-through communion. And uh, if we do a drive-through communion, we will institute the meal, give people that, pray with people. Everybody thought, that's a, that's a great idea. One guy in Iowa, he came up with this idea. He said, you know, um, communion, why can't we just celebrate? I mean, everybody's at home. We've been told, watch it on television. Here's what we're going to do is, is we're just going to tell people, get some bread and get some wine, all instituted. And you can take the bread and the wine, and we'll have communion that way. That's what one guy in Iowa decided to do. Do you know what happened to him? You know what the rest of the story? Here's what happened to him. Two pastors, neighboring pastors, called the district president and said, this man's a heretic. He's violated the confessions. And we need to remove him from the synod. Did they call him and talk to him? No, they didn't. Did they, did they go visit him and say, hey, brother in Christ, I have a little concern here. I, I'm not quite sure about this because we're in a different, different time frame than we've ever been in. And let's talk about this and let's figure it out together. No, they didn't do that. They called the district president and said, we, we're going to kick you out. We, we want you out of the Senate. The district president called this man, this pastor. He was dying of cancer. And uh, when he got the phone call, he said, oh, my goodness, thank you. You're calling about my cancer. No, nope, I'm not calling about cancer. I'm calling because I've heard that you instituted the Lord's Supper over <clears throat> online and that's improper, and we're going to remove you from the synod. We're going to remove your church from the synod. You guys are out unless you apologize. We need a public apology. This pastor, uh, I think, did something pretty brave. Honestly, I do. Pretty bold. He, he took it all himself. He said, listen, my associate pastors had nothing to do with this. The congregation had nothing. It's all mine. It's all me. I think he did that because he knew I'm going to die, which he is dead now. He said, oh, I'm going to die, so I'll just take it on me and congregation. And he says, I'll, I'll do this apology. Got online. I, I apologize for, you know, uh, instituting the Lord's Supper over the, the internet. And um, th think about that. I apologize for... Um, when he died, which is not all that long ago, I thought to myself, how sad, how sad. Now, 
Our Senate has been forced in the last few months to try to answer this question. Is, is it right? Is it, is it wrong? I mean, I, I, in, the, in, that, in that same time frame, I called our district president and said, hey, look, I'm getting ready to do drive-through communion. I don't want to be excommunicated from the, from the Senate or anything. Is that going to be okay? You know, are you going to be standing there? Yeah, well, we'll have people standing there instituting the Lord's Supper. Okay. They can hear your words. Yep, they can hear the words pretty clearly. They have that we roll their window down at least a little bit. We'll have masks on, gloves on, you know, hazmat suits on, whatever we need to do. We just need to have people have communion. Okay. And um, I thought to myself, my goodness, what does it mean that two pastors would, without even talking to a brother, want them removed from our synod for making it possible for people to take communion? Now, I, I'm not advocating for online communion. I think that our, our group has kind of pulled together since then and said, yeah, it's probably not the best thing to do because of issues that these services can go out to all kinds of places and you, you know, does, does that person really know what you're doing? Are they ready to take I mean, I, I get that. I think there's some real truth to that. But what I'm saying is there's a dark side to cronito judgment where you've taken something that somebody's done or said and you've turned it into such a position of law that we're condemning another brother, not trying to talk through, not trying to bring grace into, but I'm against that, I'm against that, I'm against that. And so the, these words really struck me, you know, when I was reading chapter 14, I'm thinking, no, we don't have problems with people eating vegetables and, and eating, you know, meat. That's not our problem today, but, but the issue is the same in the church. It hasn't gone away. That there's part of us that tends to take hold of these convictions we have, and it's good. It's right. But the tension is there's part of us that can take hold of convictions that have to do with things that are either non-essentials or adiaphora and, and use them to actually bring another person under judgment. And when that happens, I think that's really what Paul is trying to address. He's saying, church, um, if I'm sitting out here in the world and I'm watching that, like if there's a person sitting there watching this thing, and here's this pastor who's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, they're trying to kick me out of the, the, the Senate, and I, I tried to make, I thought I was doing right, I thought it was a good thing to give, to give communion to these people. The, the person sitting out in the world who's weak in faith, what are they saying to themselves? Man, I want to be part of that. That looks exciting. <laughs> Let me in. No. What are they saying? Those Christians are nutcases. They pick each other apart or what? Stuff that's irrelevant. It doesn't it happen? It doesn't really even. Why would they be killing each other over that stuff? And yeah, I, I've become I've, I've become very much aware that over my years that that yeah, um, part of our body's history, which is good, is just precision. You know, our theology is is nailed out. There's not a lot of room for 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 grayness in it. But on the other hand, because of our history coming out of the Reformation, having to respond to a lot of things that were not right and not good. Um, there's that tendency to get engaged in convictions in a way that can bring judgment on 
other people. And when we do that, then we, we're, we're entering this, this, this chapter of Romans and Paul is speaking to us and he's saying, no, think about those who are weak in faith and what does it mean for you within the church to live in a way that you have convictions, but make sure your convictions uh, are those that are clearly spoken to in the Bible and not adiaphora uh, or non uh, or non essentials. Um, so let, let's let's move forward to verse number four. The question is being raised here by Paul. Then is who are you? Who are you to pass judgment on? Um, the actual term here would be house, house servant, house servant of another. Um, one of the one of the neat things about uh, the Christian movement uh, is it became very I'm going to use this word oikos centric, very house centered. Oikos is the word for your household, and remember in Rome. Also, would be inclusive not only of my kids, but of my extended family, inclusive of what? House servants, slaves. And so one of the neat things that we, we think about when you think about early Christianity is when I became a Christian, I didn't just say, hey, thank you for making me a Christian God. I started to think immediately of everybody in my household, everyone in my household, and including people who are just my, my servants if I'm in, in Rome. And I'm thinking to myself, how do I help these people come into faith with Jesus Christ? That, I mean, that, that's the, that's the oikos centricity uh, of, the, of the early church. And, and so as these house servants are coming into to faith, there's a tendency to do what? Well, some of them are coming out of not really having a, a, a strong background of any, any faith at all. And they too are having judgment passed upon them. And, and so the question is being raised by, by Paul. Who are, who are you to place judgment on the house of another? Um, and he uses it as a foil then to, to bring us to the second half of that verse and verse 5. He says, it, it is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he's not talking about the slave owner, the servant owner. That's not the master. It is before his own master that he stands or falls. Who is that master? It's Jesus Christ. Right? And it says, and he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. And the verb that's used there is the resurrection verb. I mean, it's a spiritual standing. It's not just stand up. It's, guess what? This is not about you. And it's not about another person. It's about all of us who come underneath the judgment of only one, and that's our Lord Jesus Christ. And so watch what you say and what you do, even, even where these house servants are, are concerned. Verse 5 says, one, one person, here's, here's another argument that went on in the church, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike you kind of get some insights again into what the early church was arguing over, whether it was meat and vegetables or what day should we hold worship on. Some argue that one day is above another. Why? 
again, go back to the roots. They're Jewish. So you can predict what's going on, what's happening. There's a number of people are saying, what, what day should we worship? What day, guys? Saturday. That's part of our Jewish roots, right? Um, so the other people over here, no, 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 that's not true. That's not right. It wouldn't matter if you, if you named Monday the day that we worship, or Tuesday the day that we worship, or Thursday the day that we, we worship. All of them are the, are the, the same, right? Uh, today in America, uh, if you want to see this argument just continued out, just look up some folks who are part of what? The Seventh-day Adventist Church, right? So church is very founded in the law. And uh, in Lincoln, we had a huge Seventh-day Adventist element uh, to the degree that if they own businesses, you're not going to go in that business on a Saturday, right? They're shutting down because that's the, the Sabbath day. I can't tell you how many conversations I've gotten into with Seventh-day Adventists that would say, you Christians are violating the law of God. You're not to worship on Sundays. It's pagan. What you're doing is pagan. And if you want to be spiritual, you need to, you need to worship on a Saturday. Well, it's not new. It's old. That, that's going on in Rome as well. The, some of the Jews who become Christians, they're hanging on to this law, whether it's meat or it's this day that we're going to worship and you can't do it on that day. And again, the world, listen, the world's looking at, at the church going, are you kidding me? You people are having, you're killing each other over which day to, to worship? Yep. That's right. Convictions are good. They really are. We, we can't live without them. But there's times when the devil takes a conviction over something like what day of the week should we worship and turns it into something that we begin to hold on to and worship as, as maybe even more important than Jesus Christ himself, right? Um, no, it has to be this way and done this way. And, and so Paul is, 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 again, just speaking into that. He says, e each one, and, and here, here's my, my translation, is each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Um, actually, the way that it reads uh, is as follows. Each, each one is pleroborace, which means filled up. Each one is filled up in his own mind. Thus, this is the Greek term from which we get the English phrase, you're full of it. <laughs> it kind of is. It really is. Uh, it's, almost a, it's almost a little bit of a pun here. Paul would say, each one of them is full of it, <laughs> right? In other words, they are. They're, they're full of it and convinced in their own mind uh, that they're right. Uh, verse 6, the one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks, thanks to God. People are, I'm doing this to honor God, I'm doing this to honor God, I'm doing this to honor God. Each one of them is, is full of their conviction. Again, would Paul say convictions are wrong? No. He's saying we, we should have them. And yet, at the same time, don't, don't let convictions over non-essentials uh, divide us because here, here's the key. Go to verse 7. I've got this one kind of circled in my Bible because I think it is the key. It says, for none of us lives to himself. 
and none of us dies to himself. That's powerful to me. The way you live, it's not just to yourself. The way you live will impact other people. The way I, I live this week will impact other people. It will, good or bad. The way that you die, oh my goodness, we'll, we'll have two funerals here you know, over the course of time. Not sure about Steve's, how that'll work out. But I can tell you this, there's no greater moment in our lives from a testimony perspective than, than your funeral. You don't die to yourself. When, when you're in that box and somebody's standing up front and we're talking about what it means to have faith in Jesus Christ, uh, that day, I, I've always said, is, is maybe the most significant day that you'll provide a, a witness and a testimony to Jesus Christ of any day in your life, your, your death day. Because you're able, when, when you're able to stand and say, here, here, is, a, here is one who we are not, we are not coming together to say, oh, I wonder where they are. No, we're not. We're coming together to proclaim the victory of Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you what, any, anybody who, who is weak in the faith or I, I don't know about God who's sta sitting in that room, there's no way around the box. It stares you in the face and says, I have a day marked out for you. And all the people in the room that are standing there saying, well, uh, what, 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 ki what, killed, what killed him? COVID. Oh, I'm going to stay away from COVID. You think you're going to live forever? No, you're not. What, what, how did she die? Heart issues. Boy, I better take some more vitamins. I don't, want, I don't want my heart to die like that. That's in the back of our heads. It always is. But no, no, that box right there, it's got your name on it. God's got the day marked. And, and by the way, that person didn't die of COVID and that person didn't die of, of, of heart disease. Those are secondary causes. The primary cause of death is God. It's the primary cause of death. And thanks be to God that he gives us death. Because if he didn't give us death, we'd live in a broken world forever. A veil of tears forever. It's his great gift to us, this gift of death. And, uh, and he is the primary cause of it. So if you think you're going to get away around it, you're going to have to deal with God. That's what the box is saying to every human being. I, I just love these words. None of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. So think about how you're living. And all the way through your life, you're pointing to the day that we, we die. Verse 8 says, if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. It's all his. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Just remember, he's just saying, just remember that. Whose are you? This church thing is not about you. It's his church. It's his body. It's his plan. So live for him. And he says, for to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be both Lord of the dead and Lord of the living. Um, Let's, let's kind of finish this out real quickly. Verse 10. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Just remember where this is headed. For it is written. As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. And every tongue shall confess to God. Normally, by the way, when we hear those words, every knee shall bow and every 
tongue shall confess that he is the Lord. We typically think of, of Paul's words, right, to which church? The church in Philippi, right? The Philippians, uh, chapter 2, verse 11. That's what we typically think of. You know where these words originate? Ready for this? Isaiah, Old Testament, 45. And the old prophet is the one who, who gave Paul the words to use to the people in Philippi. And what does he say? There's a day coming where, think about this, every person will bow down and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Now, does that mean everybody will believe on that day? Nope. That means that there will come a day called Judgment Day when he returns and every knee will bow down and some people will go, uh-oh, he is Lord, right? And other people will go, thank you. He is my Lord. That's the distinction. And um, so he says, so each of us will give an account of themselves to God. And, and those are strong words to end this little section with is, I'm talking to you about how you live, how you play out your convictions, how we do this with each other, because remember where we're all heading to death and that day of the resurrection and live in a way that you're thinking about those weak in faith, those apart from the faith. Live in a way that seeks to bring them into the church and welcomes them no matter where you happen to meet them. That's what Paul is trying to do here. Why don't we pray? Lord, as we uh, come to an end today, um, man, these words are filled with, with uh, incredible wisdom about our convictions. We need them. Our lives need them. But always help us test them against your word, your clear word. Lord, help us to live in a way that takes people in where we meet them uh, and not in a way that um, simply seeks to um, tell them that you have to do this. This is the way. No, Lord, but in a way that recognizes that walking with people is a long journey. Lord, uh, to that end, we're going <clears> to <throat> go into this, this next week of this new year. We ask your, your, your blessing and your protection upon it as we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys for being here. Blessings on